On this episode of Rev Hangout, Ben and I talk about MotoGP qualifying, the recent IndyCar race in St. Petersburg, Florida, and the F1 launches and testing. Let's do it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rev Hangout. I'm your host, Nathan Nevue, and with me today is my co-host, Ben Bagley. How's it going, Ben? Oh, another busy week in racing and project trucks and just all sorts of fun stuff. Sounds like fun. I had a good week, too. Just lots of stuff to keep track of in the racing world. Um, so let's just get started. Um, first off, we have MotoGP. We had qualifying today. The race is tomorrow, so we will talk about that in the next episode of the podcast. But for qualifying, coming out on pole position was Jorge Martin, followed by Inea Bastianini, Mark Martez, Jack Marquez, Jack Miller, Elisa Spargaro, Paula Spargaro, Brad Bender, Juan Mir, Francesco Benyaya, and Alex Rins coming in 10th place. Qualifying was quite interesting. Um, I admittedly know, know a lot about MotoGP. It's my first year really getting into it. But the format was interesting. It's, it's similar to F1, I believe. It was hard to tell from the qualifying video that we got. It seemed like it was a little out of order. I don't know if you saw the same thing, Ben. Yeah, it was a little bit... It was cut up and stylized, I will say. A bit more than what we're used to with some other race series. Yeah, so it was interesting. It was fun to follow. It was cool to watch the race, the bikes go around the track. It's insane, the angles they're pulling. I'm sure the G-Force is scary when you're just on a bike on two wheels. Um, so... The race is tomorrow. It's in Qatar at the Soleil International Circuit. I'm definitely going to be watching that, and we will definitely report that on the next podcast, how everything goes. Um, MotoGP releases a... They're releasing MotoGP Unlimited on Amazon Prime Video on March 14th. That is like the MotoGP version of Formula One Drive to Survive. I am super excited about that because I think that will help a lot of people get into the series that doesn't have a lot of publicity at the moment. Yeah, I think, think that'll uh, that'll help me get into the series too. It'll be a good jumping off point for this this coming season. Yeah, seeing the behind the scenes stuff is really helpful to really create uh, kind of a connection with the drivers and the riders. I think it's it's a huge huge step in the right direction for motorsports, and I think it's why it's been growing in the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm interested to see how uh, Amazon does it versus Netflix to see if they go the same route as Netflix and make it turn into like a documentary series with you know certain storylines that they try to follow throughout the year, or if they go more just pure behind the scenes interviews stuff like that. Yeah, it will be very interesting to see. I am probably gonna binge it as I'm sure I will with Drive to Survive, and that comes out in a couple of days too. Alright, so let's move on to IndyCar. The Grand Prix of St. Petersburg was this last week. Scott McLaughlin won, followed by Alex Pillow, Will Power, Colton Herta, Roman Grosjean, Renus VK, Graham Rahal, Scott Dixon, Marcus Erickson, and Takuma Sato coming in 10th place. The race was awesome. I really liked it. It was, it was, there was a lot of action on track and especially off track. There was so much action in the pits with strategy and even just racing in the pits. Um, there was contact even between Marcus Erickson, Graham Rahal, and Roma Grosjean in the pits during the race. They kind of sandwiched Graham Rahal, I believe, 
and um, Grosjean ended up tapping the wall, I think. So pretty scrappy to start start the season off. It's good to see. It's good to see a lot of drivers at the top fighting fighting it out. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to see Romain Grosjean on that top five because we were talking about that earlier, and seeing him at a bigger team kind of getting used to how IndyCar works, seeing him in the top five for the first race of the season is pretty cool. Right behind, you know, all the big names, Scott McLaughlin, Will Power, Colton Herta. Yeah, it was Scott McLaughlin's first win. That's also a notable point. It was a rookie last season. Um, driver, he was he was remarkable for him being only his second season. Um, it was... It was really cool to see him fight Palau at the end there on the last few laps when he was really breathing down his neck and there was lap traffic. It was He really brought out his racing prowess, and that's what earned him the win. Yeah, I almost forgot watching the last part of the race that Scott McLaughlin started so recently. He, he almost seems a lot more comfortable than just a second-year driver. Yeah, it's really cool to see these drivers from all, all over the world that come into America fly around the country and race at all these legendary racetracks. Um, St. Pete is a classic. Everybody looks forward to every year. It's usually near the beginning of the year. I think it was the second race of last year. So it's a good way to kick off the season. I am excited for the next race at Texas Motor Speedway, the Expel 375. It's an oval. I have come to appreciate oval races more than I used to, um, especially in IndyCar. Mm-hmm. Oval races, there's there's a lot that can go wrong, and when it does, it's pretty spectacular. Yeah. So, yeah, that will be fun to watch. That is where Pato Award won his first race last year, and won that test drive with McLaren at the oh, end yeah. of the F1 season last year. I believe Scott Dixon was the winner of the other race that was held there last year. So, yep, first oval of the season, Roman Grosjean will be participating. He didn't participate in the Ovals last year, so it'll be good to see him start that new format. Yep. All right. So let's move on to the meat of today's podcast, F1. And man, has there (laughs) been a lot happening in F1. Yes, we did our last episode right before all of the launches, which, interestingly enough... (laughs) didn't give us that much content. Yeah, um, you would have thought so. that the launches, the Liberate launches would have been the biggest news of F1 over the past couple of weeks, but that was not the case. Yeah, They're, the delivery launches were were pretty cool. Um, there, a couple of them were more sub, had more substance than others. The McLaren yeah. one took forever, I'm going to be honest. Was, uh, they... It was like an hour-long event, and they didn't even show any any of the liveries until about 45 minutes in. So yeah. just kind of just keeping you on the edge of your seat, um, hoping that they would release the livery soon. They finally did, and I don't know how I feel about it. The McLaren, I'm on the fence. <laughs> I think I, I liked their livery last year, so I don't have a huge problem with it this year. I know a lot of people are expecting a lot of teams to shake up deliveries, and that probably set a lot of us up for a little bit of disappointment uh, upon releasing a lot of these liveries. Aston Martin was pretty gradual. They switched essentially just a, a bit more yellow, and there's McLaren pretty much the same colors. They just kind of changed the shades 
and it's more of like a golf blue, I guess, for their blue color on their cars, which I actually kind of like, but I would have also liked to see, you know, maybe a different primary color or something like that. But honestly, right. the livery that impressed me the most was probably uh, Mercedes, actually. I really liked yes. how they uh, returned the silver to their cars. Yes, I do too. The Mercedes looks really cool. The the silver, the, it's good to see the sort of silver arrows back in action. The black was cool for a couple of years, but the silver is really what defined Mercedes for so long. So to see the classic silver, blue, red, Enios color combination come back is is nice. Yeah, all I gotta say the the biggest glow up I guess for me would have been pause, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on the podcast, but. Their switch oh, yes. up of liveries from their release to where they're at now. I actually really like the black, white, and red, almost space shuttle look for their cars. And I'm sure that might change if they get a different title sponsor. From the news, it seems like they're financially okay and they won't have to pick up another title sponsor, at least immediately. I might have misinterpreted that. But I kind of like just a simple red, white, and black on those cars. Yeah, me too. I'm sure, yeah, we will definitely go over Haas a little more in depth later. Yeah, but before that, do you want to talk about kind of a bit more skin deep than deliveries? Talk about some of the designs and side pods and other aerodynamic bits that we've seen released on these cars? Oh, for sure. The The cars are remarkably different. It's it's really cool because I was not expecting this. The The, the regulations are so strict that I was not expecting this much variety in the way the cars even just look. Like the red the Red Bull has this insane cutaway mm-hmm. that I I don't even understand what it does entirely, but I'm sure it directs air under the car to make the diffuser work better. <laughs> yeah, um, and we're seeing a lot more variation with especially the side pods and the engine covers. Those have been the two main areas that I've noticed differences occurring. Although I'm sure, based on preseason testing, with all the porpoising going on and all stuff like that, I'm sure there's a lot more differences underneath the cars that we're not seeing. Of course, it seems that, according to most sources, that the underfloor and the things we can't see underneath the car are what is creating the most downforce this year, in complete opposition to last the last. 30 years since Grand Effect has been essentially banned. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Grand Effect was banned back then because cars were going around corners too fast and it was, I mean, people were dying left and right. Yeah. Because the cars had so much grip that, you know, it was so easy to push the car that, you know, it was also easy to go too far just a little bit. And at that speed, it, it's dangerous. Yeah. At that point in time, too, you kind of lacked the computational fluid dynamics technology that we have now so you know you can test a car with a great grand effects package and see and say oh look it makes a whole lot of downforce they can go around the corner faster but you don't really get to see kind of how it's managing that or what happens if you know you're in a slightly different scenario and all of a sudden you get some unfortunate side effects of having uh, kind of an untested design like that that's true, and now safety in motorsports in general is just so much better than it was even 10 or 15 years ago. 
that for sure i think it's it's a safer safer bet to increase the speed of the cars um even even around corners yep so on the topic of the porpoising do you think i know we saw a lot of it on the test weekend in barcelona do you think we've seen the last bit do you think teams have kind of figured out how to negate that or do you think we're still going to see some teams uh especially you know some of the ferraris having real difficulty with that still struggling with that as we move on to uh the season um it's hard to say it'll be definitely more telltale at the test in bahrain i would imagine that the porpoising will probably be mostly gone by the first or second race of the season Mm-hmm. The teams are obviously going to have to develop their aero package more as time goes on. But the porpoising, since some teams have managed to to cut that out completely, like McLaren didn't struggle with it at all, Yeah, um, I would imagine that teams will find a way around it or find a way to stop it. It might be tough. You might think with Alfa Romeo and Ferrari struggling so much with the porpoising that um, maybe it's just the core the core design of their car is what's the problem, but I can't imagine that those teams can't find a way around it. Yeah, because essentially the root cause of the porpoising is, as you're talking, the ground effects on these cars, or not necessarily ground effects, but the aerodynamics that you're getting from these cars and the new uh, diffusers and the new floors are really contributing to a lot more downforce than they're used to on the underside of the car. And that's essentially on the straights, you know, in past seasons, you see all the sparks from the titanium studs underneath the car uh, spark as you hit the straights because they're getting so much downforce. Well, now that appears to be bringing the car all the way down to the bump stops, which will then push the car back up and then the ground effects bring it back down. And it's kind of a fight between the suspension and damping and the aerodynamic downforce of the car is kind of fighting to decide the fate of whether the car is going up or down on those streets. Right, and to explain it more for anybody who didn't catch the testing or any of the highlights, um, some of the cars, notably the Ferrari and the Alfa Romeos, but most most of the teams had it to a small degree. Um, when driving down the straights going fast, their diffuser would activate, bottom out their suspension, which would bounce them up, like Ben was saying and then it would activate the diffuser again, dropping them to the ground. And so as they were driving along the straight, it almost looked like they were bouncing, or it's called porpoising because I guess it could be attributed to a porpoise, you know, (laughs) jumping out of the water and such. Yep. It kind of had that motion to it. It was really interesting to see because I haven't seen anything like that, and we haven't seen it in F1 since since that uh, ground effect was taken out. Yeah, and it seems the main team response to that problem was add more slits and vents to the top side of the cars, which I thought was interesting to see how many, just how many slits and vents that a team could add, uh, especially teams like Mercedes and Ferrari seem to add a lot of very modified, and it seems like they brought them with them. So they must have anticipated something with that and how much downforce they were getting. Yeah, the so. slits are interesting. I don't know if they're used for cooling or if they're used for exhaust or if they're used for airflow. It, it could be one of many things. We first noticed it on the uh, Aston Martin. Yep. When it when it first released, they released their their full car design and they have a lot of these slits along their side pod. 
that I'm not entirely sure what they do, but I'm sure they're there for a reason because many teams have adopted the slits since then, like you said, Mercedes. It it makes me wonder if it's a response to the porpoising or if they're having other problems that weren't necessarily as visible as the porpoising that these slits are supposed to solve, and if Aston Martin in particular, with the quantity of slits on their side pods, had to deal with or if they had to make major modifications and add more or take away but I gotta say that Aston Martin kind of going back to the overall design of the cars I was most impressed with the design of the Aston Martin I think those long side pods with the pretty low profile engine cover looks really good yes yeah the Aston Martin's one of my favorite even just with the liveries I like it so much more than last year's with the with the yellow green rather than the the pink yeah so how do you feel about the pink on the alpine now yes the the bwt sponsorship transferred from aston martin to alpine and it's (laughs) it's affected the livery i'll say that (laughs) (laughs) um in terms of if we're talking about glow ups and we can talk about glow downs (laughs) i don't think i like the aston or the alpine livery as much as I did last year. I'm hoping it's one of those things that once you see it on track, it fits together better. Uh, it does look first, better on track. The livery on the, for the first two races that they're using with the more pink than blue, I think is stylistically a terrible decision. But going to the normal livery with the more blue than pink looks acceptable. It's just a lot of it's a lot of colors going on, and I like colorful look colorful cars but it is quite a lot of colors it's yeah there's a lot it's blue which i love the alpine blue it's such a such a beautiful color and then it slaps you with the pink and the castrol green and red yeah there's a lot going on um i i like it i i like it more on track i will say it does look better in the sunlight maybe it maybe it's the cameras I don't know. It could just be the renders making this look a little weird on the on the pictures, but uh, I'm not not a huge fan of the Alpine. But I I do like most of the other ones, and the McLaren one is growing on me, and I do think looks a lot better on track. Yep, and then of course you have the Alfa Romeo making its wait the longest for their livery, really playing up with all their kind of car manufacturer style prototype camo that kind of thing only to reveal a car that for all intents and purposes is essentially the same livery as it did last year yeah i do like it i like the italian flag on the back it looks pretty yeah. slick but it doesn't it hasn't changed much since last year what has changed a lot is the williams livery Ooh, yeah they have taken the yellow out pretty much completely and now their blue and red looks like the colors they're trying to go for yeah, it's almost like a geometric styling for the blue part. Kind of a bit more metallic, like the Alpines. But I really like it. Yeah, I know a lot of people were split on it, but I, I really like it, and it's definitely an improvement since last year, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think all the cars this year just look better. I think the liveries overall have gotten pretty good, and the designs of the cars being so much cleaner really allows the liveries to kind of show through and just be a much more overall pleasant presentation than how they were last year with all the barge boards and vortex generators and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, I agree. And it seems to me like a lot of teams have really kind of embraced their their roots. Like a lot of the liveries last year were spinoffs or kind of special, or they did some weird colors to for some reason like for example the the ferrari with the the maroon tail and then the green uh, mission Winnow arrow <laughs> not even like not even the italian flag green this is it was no. a spearmint green yeah it did not didn't look great but i think they nailed the livery this year yeah and i noticed i didn't see a mission Winnow logo on their car at any point i might have just completely glanced over it no, they um they are no longer sponsored by Mission Winnow. They have changed to Santander, I believe, as their new primary sponsor. Aha, that explains it. Which yes, you know, nothing against Marlboro Shell companies, but it, I think it looks <laughs> a lot better without that logo on the car. Yeah, uh, I I tend to agree. Um, speaking of sponsorships, yes, BWT has moved over. What else? Along with the race uh, or team director, team principal. Yes, uh, Marcus Afnauer. Um, so yeah, he, he moved from Alpine to, or from Aston Martin to Alpine, which is a big move. He was with, he was with the Aston Martin team when they were Force India, and he's been with them for a long time, like almost a decade, I believe. And so it's a big move for him. It's kind of a shame to see him go, but I, from what I understand, he didn't completely see eye to eye with what, with what the Stroll family wants. And it yep. seems like they kind of get what they want, and it's basically their team. I mean, hey, they brought back a, a green Aston Martin, so yeah, can't, can't complain. Them, I guess can't complain. Um, in other sponsoring news, sponsor news, Haas has lost their primary sponsor. That was just announced this morning. Yep. Although it's important to note that they didn't lose their primary sponsor. They well, they cut ties. Yes. This is their decision to do that. Yes, they cut ties because of the situation in Ukraine, and our thoughts and hearts go out to all of the families that have been affected. Mm-hmm. We hope that situation revol- resolves itself soon, and so does everybody else in the motorsport community. So, as a result of that, uh, Haas has lost or has <laughs> has cut ties with their primary sponsor and also their pay driver. Yep. Another interesting thing with that is this is. Um, unsubstantiated Reddit news, as all the good news is from, that Nikita Mazepin did sign. FIA had some kind of uh, documentation that he signed that would have allowed him to race on certain stipulations uh, pertaining to the situation taking place right now. And apparently Haas dropped him anyways, which it makes sense, having to drop their sponsor, which is much more intertwined with some parties taking center stage in the news right now. So it makes sense, but I thought that was interesting that Mazepin was willing to sign what seemed to be a pretty strict document to continue racing. So with Mazepin out, who do you think's going in? I know it's pretty strong uh, evidence that Fittipaldi would be going in, but I know there's also other rumors swirling around that it may not be Fittipaldi, at least for part of the season. I think it's Fittipaldi. I don't see them using anybody else. Yeah, because we're too. we're so close to the 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 first race is in five days. Testing is in a week, so they have Fittipaldi on as their reserve driver, 
I don't think there's enough time for them to really go out and negotiate a contract with somebody else. They could do it if they really wanted to, but I think Fittipaldi is in that position for this reason. So I don't see it being anybody else. It would be cool to see Antonio Giovinazzi back or Oscar Piastri make it from F2 into F1, mm-hmm. but I don't see it happening. Yeah. Yeah, so I haven't seen much of Fittipaldi's racing from F2. So I'll be I'll be looking forward to see how he does in the Haas car compared to two other pretty new drivers on the Haas team. See if he can kind of measure up to where they were at. Right. Yeah, it will be will be interesting to see. Uh he's been racing in DTM, I believe, for the last couple seasons. Yeah. Um so yeah, he's making this big step up. He did have that one race in Bahrain a couple of years ago at the end of 2020. He made it to the end, I believe. So <laughs> for your first free debut race in, in that Haas, I think that's pretty much as much as you can ask for. Yep. So, yeah, it'll be cool to see how he does. It's cool to have two historic names in that team with Schumacher and Fittipaldi. Both, both of them have family members that were prior world champions so yep oh this segues actually this segues perfectly into uh, another world champion and some f1 news and an american team with rumors that andretti will be launching andretti global and trying to get their way into f1 despite the wishes of some larger teams within the f1 community Yes, they have. Andretti has put their application in to be a team starting in 2024. We will see if that happens. They said that they have already made a deal with Alpine. Well, I guess technically Renault. They'll be using yep. Renault engines. Um, when they join, if they join, for some reason, the team, some of the teams are fighting it. They think that a team like Andretti, who wouldn't be as huge budget most likely, would dilute the the prize pool which is understandable but they're coming in they have to pay a 200 million dollar entrance fee which is substantial and their argument is that they will bring a lot of value to f1 because it will bring a lot of american fans which i agree with i think if we have an american team that (laughs) unfortunately is not haas in f1 I think a lot of Americans will really get into it because Andretti is such a legendary name in F1 and IndyCar, and yeah, a, sure. a lot of other motorsports. Their their family has had a huge impact on the motorsports worldwide. So I think having an Andretti team in F1 only makes sense. Yeah, and yeah, some of the concerns that I've seen about just adding another backmarker team to the field is kind of. I can kind of see where they'd be coming from with a lot of newer teams kind of becoming backmarker teams uh, when they're added. But you do have to think, obviously, Andretti is a very smart family and a very smart business. So I can't really imagine them wanting to enter F1 with the understanding that they would just be a backmarker team. No, and they've made it very clear that they intend to come in and they intend to make a difference so i think if they get in they they said they have the money to do it they've got plenty of money they said they don't need a lot of sponsorship um so i don't i don't uh it's it's hard to say where they'll be they've got so much experience that they could be midfield top of the field or or a back marker it's it's really hard to say but with 
with as much experience in status as the Andretti name brings in motorsport, I can't anticipate that they're going to be nowhere. Oh, yeah. And, again, you brought up the point of having another American team bringing more American fans in. That really can't be understated how much value that could bring. I mean, Haas didn't really bring a lot of traction just because they are a backmarker team. They don't get a whole lot of experience. And unless you're like me and you work with CNC machining equipment for the past five years, you maybe don't even know what a Haas is uh, in terms of the brand. So having a, a household global racing name like Andretti could bring in a lot more fans. Right, and they said in addition to that that they would bring in an American F1 driver um, which would be the first time since Alexander Rossi in mm-hmm. 2015 for Manor. So they most likely, since they said it's an American F1 driver, and with all the rumors that have been flying around, I, I'm pretty sure it's Colton Herta. Yep. If they were to bring someone in. But I think that they would, their pool would probably come from IndyCar in terms of the drivers that they look to sign. Unless oh, there's yeah. an absolute steal on the market like if we have a situation with Sergio like with Sergio Perez last year where he was out of racing point at the time and didn't have a contract and it was so late in the year that uh you you weren't sure if he was going to get re-signed but then Red Bull decided to scoop him up cuz how could you how could you let that talent leave yep and oh just so coincidentally Andretti has just signed a new racing driver for this season to IndyCar his name is Roden Grosjean, and he seems to be pretty familiar with F1. Yeah, that would be another option. I don't so know if Grosjean cons- would go back to F1, That's conspiracy theorist, Ben. At least, you know, offering some kind of experience or some kind of name. Uh, if somebody were to say, well, none of your drivers have been proven in F1, well, here you go. We found one. That's true. There's a lot of uh, experienced F1 drivers in any car, like... Roma Grosjean, Marcus Erickson, I believe Helio Castroneves drove for a little bit. Alexander Rossi did. There, there's there's a fair few names that um, have plenty of experience that are valid candidates for that. Yeah, and it kind of fits the theme of kind of the American underdog taking on the international race series from IndyCar. So I think that would bring a lot of traction for for the team. So I'm, ex- I'm excited to see. I know we have to wait until 2024 to really find out if they actually make it in or not, but I'm pretty confident that they'll get in. I think the other teams can be swayed. I know it has to be unanimous decision from all the teams uh, to let another team in, but I'm, I'm sure Andretti can be pretty persuasive. Yeah, I would think so. And money talks, which has been made pretty apparent in F1. <laughs> so... All right, yep. what else? We got Drive to Survive coming up pretty soon here in a few days. March 11th, Drive to Survive Season 4 releases. It's a, it's a really good show. It's been a little you know, up and down as of late, mm-hmm. but um, I'm excited for Season 4. I think if it's anything like Season 1, Season 2, uh, it'll be really exciting, but I don't know how they're going to fit. I know it's 10 episodes. I don't know how they're going to fit all of the content that we got in 2021 into those 10 episodes. Well, you know, they don't have any Max Verstappen interviews to worry about this time, so maybe that helps with their runtime. Yeah, no Max Verstappen interviews, but they can still show... I know they're still showing the Red Bull Mercedes fight 
um, yeah. as one of their primary stories, um, just based on things I've seen about people who, like from people who have already seen it. Yeah, and based on previous series and how big this Mercedes Red Bull fight was last season, it makes me wonder: is that going? Are they going to try to switch to just a single narrative through line of Mercedes versus Red Bull, or are they still going to do kind of like they did in past seasons, where you know they have little individual battles kind of taking place within teams and between different smaller teams or if they're going to try to focus in these 10 episodes just get as much of this one rivalry in as possible yeah we'll have to see yep i'm excited um season four trailer is out now if you're curious uh just uh google drive to survive season four trailer it'll pop right up so that comes out march 11th i'll definitely be binging that uh, michael massey was removed uh and replaced by niels wittich and eduardo freitas I think that was probably the right decision. He's he's had some some problems the last year. Not even not if we even if we just take out the the last race of the season, which everybody knows what happened. Um, he's he's been notable for restarting races at very poor times. For for example, in Bahrain and in, at Imola in twenty twenty. The race was restarted while workers were still on the track, and it was it was pretty pretty not great, <laughs> considering events that have happened in the past. Yep. You would think that he would have learned from that, um, but you don't want to be starting F1 races when there's stewards and stuff cleaning cars up on the track still. Yeah, so it, I'm interested that they added two in place of just Massey. Are they going to be kind of switching on and off based on the race, or are they both going to be working side-by-side side each race? They will be working side-by-side you know? side from, I believe they called it a virtual uh, steward's room. So I don't, gotcha. I, don't know, I don't know exactly what that means. Um, I would imagine it means that they're probably both not at the same place the race is. But they will be working together, which I, I think is a good idea because it means you have someone you have to bounce ideas off of in terms of what you're going to do, decisions that you're going to make. Gives you a, gives a veto system, gives that as an option. So I think that's going to help with the problem a lot. I think giving one person all the power and having having all of the teams yell at you for what they want, I think it's just it's a little too much to put on one person. So yep. they also have stated that they're not going to be broadcasting transmissions from teams over um, on television anymore. Uh, teams will be limited in the contact that they have with the race directors. They they can have a designated person that is not the team boss talk to the race director to ask questions, but that's it. So hopefully, hopefully these changes will improve the continuity of the sport. Yeah. So, all right, what else we got? Max Verstappen extended his Red Bull contract for five years. So he was serious <laughs> at, when yeah. he said at the end of the season, I want to stay with you for a long time. Um, that's, 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 he's going to be at that team for, that'll make it 12 years, I think, which is a long time in Formula yeah. 1. How long has Hamilton been with Mercedes? since? He joined Mercedes in, I believe, 20... 14 2013 or 14 so it's been about that nine years 
nine ten yep. years. So, yeah, there's there's some there's some driver team combos that are getting up there, and you you think you know this is going to be one of those classic classic pairings that people remember, like Schumacher and Ferrari, or Senna and McLaren. You know, he's got Max Verstappen and Red Bull, and then probably Hamilton and Mercedes. I can't imagine attributing Hamilton to anything else in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of teams. Well, if you're those drivers, I mean, where else do you go? The only team yeah. that, you know, is even close is the rival team. Right. So I, it was pretty pretty set in stone that Verstappen would be staying at Red Bull for at least a little while longer. But I wouldn't be surprised if he stays at Red Bull until retirement. I don't know if he's really the kind of guy who would kind of coast down to a midfield or backmarker team. I think he'd probably just go for as long as he can at Red Bull and then uh, call it good there. It's possible. Only time will tell. Yep. So let's move on and talk about testing a little bit. Um, Alfa Romeo and Haas really struggled in testing more than most of the other teams. I know Alpine did on day three. Uh, but Haas and Alfa Romeo were kind of train wrecks. Uh, Haas, they kept crashing out and having other mechanical problems, and then Alfa Romeo kept damaging their car because of the porpoising. So yep. not not ideal for them in Barcelona. Uh, the porpoising affected a lot of cars, but for Alfa Romeo and Ferrari, it was pretty bad. Um, there were the, I I feel like the cars are a little or they're gonna be faster this year I think because a lot of people are saying that they're slower or you know there's there's people on both sides that say they're slower and faster I think they're I think they're gonna be faster because Lewis set a time of one minute nineteen point one three eight on the third day of testing and that was the fastest time all weekend uh, I believe the fastest lap last year in qualifying was set by Max Verstappen and it was a 118.1 so if the cars are only a second off in testing when they're not showing all their chips and they're not doing qualifying runs I I can't imagine they'll be slower yeah yeah I'll be interested because I'm pretty sure they added like they increased the weight of these cars versus last year so I wasn't sure if that would affect it at all, but they've also moved to a much, much bigger wheel and tire combo, which yes, you know could have any number of effects. So you always hope for a faster car, but at some point there's only so fast you can go before you start hitting other limits. Right. Yeah. There's new new tires, new Pirelli compounds. Um, they've been they've been tested all throughout last year and uh, this this testing session. Hopefully they got it. They did wet the track down for people to test in wet weather conditions, which I thought was cool. I hadn't seen that before on a on a street on a circuit like this, with water trucks going around spraying down the track to simulate rain. Yeah, it was kind of kind of interesting because I've only ever seen that in dirt racing to pack the dirt down, but it was pretty yeah. cool to see. Um, I think a lot of a lot of teams got a lot of data from this session. Most of the teams completed several hundred laps, so I think uh, it was good for everybody to get all this data, get the drivers in the cars, get as much experience as possible before before we really hit the season, hopefully hopefully running. Yeah, for sure. 
Alrighty, so that's all I've got on the docket for today. Do you have anything, any closing thoughts, Ben? Uh, Gran Turismo 7 came out pretty recently. I don't know how related that is to Formula 1, but it's exciting for me. Yeah, I need to get a PS5. I'm still working on that. <laughs> yes, you do. I got lucky with mine. And you oh, yeah. bet I'm going to be spending quite a bit of time honing my particular racecraft against whatever devious AI Sony has come up with this time. Yeah, the AI was pretty pretty aggressive last last game in, in GT Sport. Played a lot of that. So, yeah, GT7, that's out now. Go pick it up if you like racing games. It's always a classic. Uh, it's got pretty good reviews, and the visuals look pretty incredible. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, well, if that's all you got... Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to help the show grow, leave us a like or a rating on the platform you listened on. We really appreciate the support. If you want to follow us and our thoughts throughout the week, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RevHangMedia. To wrap it all up, I was Nathan. And that was Ben. Never buy a project truck again, Bagley. <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. See you guys.